All right, welcome into another edition of Designated for Assignment. Josh Goldberg here for another week and another up and down week for the Blue Jays through Cleveland and then back home with the Cubs. They go three and four, beat the Cubs 11 to four on Sunday to avoid the sweep. And uh, they're guaranteed to head into next week or this week, I should say. Um, in a playoff spot by half a game. Seattle has certainly closed the gap. You know, they had their long win streak snapped on Saturday, thanks to Felix Bautista in the Baltimore Orioles. But uh, Seattle's not likely to go anywhere, and it's going to be a real battle down the stretch for, uh, I think, the third wildcard spot. I, I don't see... The first or second being all that realistic. I think Houston and and Tampa or Baltimore, you know, since Tampa has kind of cut into the lead a little bit again, one of, you know, two of Houston, Texas, Baltimore, Tampa, I would think will occupy the first two wildcard spots. And then that leaves really to me, Seattle and the Blue Jays. Boston, I think, is on the periphery a little bit, you could argue, uh, that they're in the mix. The Yankees, I don't see it personally. You know, stranger things have happened and the Angels are dead. So I, I really do think that it's the Jays and the Mariners. And, um, you know, we can start with the weekend that was. And, you know, a lot of the same stuff that has plagued this team on and off and inability to come up consistently with big run run producing innings, uh, stringing hits together, a big home run. And then on Sunday, they did certainly change that. You know, they had a five run second, a four run, uh, rather a three run fourth and a three run eighth. And Dalton Varsho hits a three run home run that really broke the game, helped to break the game open. They score five in that inning. You know, he sets a career high with his fifth RBI uh, or five RBI game. And it's a sec, only a second multi-RBI game since the beginning of June. It's been tough, but he has been better lately. He's been putting better swings on the ball as of late. You look at his last 15 games, you know, he's hitting 261. He's got almost an 800 OPS. It's still not great, but, you know, you're just looking for incremental signs of progress from him. And I guess, you know, we are sort of seeing that. Um, with the way that he's swinging, you know, he got on a fastball up in the strike zone off Jamison Tyon and and took it out a long way to right field. And that's obviously uh, very encouraging. Uh, hit it 106 miles an hour off the bat. Very solid swing. And, and he had another hit in, in that game in, in a big situation where the Jays had the bases loaded and... You know, they didn't score with the bases loaded, nobody out. And then I think it was BGO struck out and Jansen struck out. And then he came up big with a two-run single with two outs to really, um, you know, put that game, I would say, mostly out of reach. And, you know, they solve it. It's always good. Even if you lose a series at home, it's always good to head into an off day on the back of a win, which the Jays are doing. You know, they're off Monday and Thursday. They've got the Phillies for two. You know, the Phillies are not a team to be taken lightly. They got swept in a two-game miniseries. I think it was back in May in Philadelphia. You know, some games that they probably should have won. That's unfortunately really a theme of the season. But the Phillies have been playing better baseball. They have a really deep, really talented lineup. Um, I don't know what the pitching situation is, if they're going to see one or both, or maybe hopefully neither of Zach Wheeler or Aaron Nola. And then the Reds are... You know, they've cooled way, way off, but 
they're still a dangerous offensive team. And then, you know, the Jays have a couple weeks that they have to get through schedule wise before it really opens up towards the end of August and into September, where you're seeing the likes of the nationals who honestly haven't been terrible. Um, the A's, the Rockies, the Royals, that's really going to be the big stretch. I think that, um, will probably be a big determining factor in whether the Blue Jays make the playoffs or not. I, I still think they're in a good position to do so, but you know, Seattle's, I think it was an eight game winning streak really changed the complexion. You know, even if it was five, like if they had gone five and three or six and two, you know, you're talking about having a multiple game lead for that spot. But right now, uh, the cushion is essentially non existent. And, you know, Seattle still got games against the A's. They have some, they close out their season with, I believe, Houston and uh, Texas, which is not ideal, but the Jays close it out with the Yankees uh, in the race. So, you know, we're going to be, we're officially fully in scoreboard watching season. You know, it's a nervous time of the year. You could say that for a lot of fans, every game feels like the most important game in the world. And I think Twitter probably, uh, and I'm not, innocent of this you know being perpetually online i think uh during games can warp your sense of reality to how important games are in the grand scheme of things of the season and you know that just sort of comes with the territory but you know i I did want to talk about the really incredible ceremony on saturday you know jose bautista takes his rightful place on the level of excellence you know for a generation of Blue Jays fans, the singular star that really, you know, made an impact in a big way in big spots. The bat flip is an all-time Toronto sports history moment. Um, you know, it, it didn't result in a World Series. It's not the Joe Carter home run. But, you know, for a lot of people, after decades, two plus decades of no playoff baseball to have a moment like that, you know, really resonates. I, like if you didn't see the Carter home run, but you saw the Bautista home run, or you were old enough to appreciate it, you're. I have no, and I'm, and I'm fall into that. I was four years old when Joe Carter um, hit that home run, and I was 26 years old when Bautista hit his home run. So uh, I obviously have more of a connection to it. I remember where I was. Uh, I remember the reaction, and for a lot of people. That will always be the case. There's a reason there's a mural now in downtown Toronto that's um, kind of commemorating that moment. And, you know, it was a great ceremony. The Blue Jays always do a really good job with these honorary moments, ceremonies, tributes, etc. We saw it last year with the 92 World Series team. That was awesome. And, you know, Jose was never an emotional guy, right? He was always seen as uh, a take-no-prisoner, serious um, you know, take care of business on the field, uh, take no prisoners, that sort of thing. A, a great leader for that group. But, you know, it was hard not to be emotional. And I, I thought they hit all the right notes and and captured, um, you know, his career and how important Toronto was and is to him and, and the Blue Jays uh, are, are and were to him. And they did a great job. And, you know, it got me thinking, back to 2015 and how crazy that really second half of the season was after the deadline, the last two months of the season, I would say from August, early August through September, and then obviously into October 
felt like the Jays never lost and they were hanging crooked numbers and there was literally nothing to complain about. Like at the time, uh, I was screening calls for Mike Wilner on Blue Jay Sock and you know, those call-in shows, the same way that these podcasts and just in general, I think a lot of people find negativity uh, more entertaining and more engaging. There's stuff to complain about, whether it's fair, foul, or somewhere in between or or what have you. You know, people get more entertainment out of somebody complaining about a certain player, a certain game or something like that. And for two plus months, there was nothing to complain about. It was just like you were trying to manufacture things to talk about because it was just, oh, ho-hum, the Blue Jays bludgeon another team 12 to four. And, you know, they've won 12 of their last 15 games and they never lose. And it never felt like they were going to lose. It never felt like they were out of a game. And I think for a lot of people, that just came out of nowhere. I I understand that that team was like 50 and 51 at a point and they were underperforming relative to their talent and their run differential, et cetera. They were certainly ready to make um, a run. I don't think anyone in their right mind saw that level of comeback uh, from them. And, you know, for a lot of people, everyone just thinks to 2015 and uh, wants to chase that level of performance again. And I think 2021 from when the Blue Jays got home at the end of July through the end of that season, even though they didn't make the playoffs, you know, we can't lose sight of that. But that was about as close in a lot of ways as maybe it's been since then. And that wasn't even close because like there were still games Uh, that they should have won, that they lost, and the bullpen had some issues. You know, we all remember Brad Hand uh, in 2021. But my my point really is that trying to, you know, capture that again, that's a a once-in-a-generation type of situation. And, like, I think that if you're watching every game of this Blue Jays season of this particular team, yeah, it leaves something to be desired. It hasn't gone according to plan. They were expected to be the best team in the division by a lot of people. They haven't been or really anywhere close. A lot of people looked at them as, you know, right in the mix to contend for a World Series. That could still very well happen. I think all the pieces are in place and, you know, a swing here or there, especially on the offensive side of things, if you do get into the playoffs, could make all the difference in the world. You know, you never know what can happen in October, but you know, this isn't a bad team. They play badly uh, from time to time. They're they're inconsistent. They're far from perfect. Um, they have their issues, no question. But I think objectively speaking, it's still a top 10 team in, in the league. And you lose sight of that, um, you know, as you're watching every game and, you know, dissecting every at bat and every pitch and feeling as though every loss carries that much more importance. And, like again, I think Twitter is not the best for that. But you know, if you're holding every Blue Jays team for the rest of time, or at least until another team comes along and has a better run for a sustained period of time than that 2015 edition did, then you're always going to be disappointed because there's no possible way, I don't think, realistically, that a team is going to play that 
consistent across every facet for whatever it was, you know, 60 some odd games. Like I, I feel like there was a stretch. They were 40 and 15 uh, or something along those lines down the stretch there in 2015. It was just um, unbelievable. And, you know, I think you want to remember it and enjoy it as much as you possibly can without getting bogged down and saying, Oh, well, you know, this team isn't anything like 2015, you know, why, why isn't this talented team uh, able to produce more offensively, which is a hundred percent a fair criticism. And, and we can get into that, but I just think that, you know, looking at 2015 just kind of warps your sense of what is possible or, or real or realistic, I should say, and what is not. And I, I still look at that as like almost a fever dream of two months where everything was clicking into place. And, you know, they hung crooked numbers, their pitching was good, their bullpen was good, everything uh, worked out. And, you know, unfortunately, they didn't get it done, which illustrates how fickle uh, the postseason can be for, I would say, the most talented, arguably best team top to bottom in that 2015 season, that doesn't always work out. Look at the 2021 Dodgers. It doesn't always go the way uh, that you would expect. And, you know, a lot of people are expecting this Blue Jays team to maybe not make the playoffs or if they do their roadkill in, in, if maybe they get by the twins or Cleveland or whoever it is, maybe they don't. But a lot of people would think even if they do, they're not going beyond, you know, the division series. And perhaps that's true, but, you know, I get a lot of, there's like a lot of fatalistic stuff right now with the, with the way that the blue Jays, you know, are playing and I get it offensively. They have left a lot uh, to be desired. They don't have many players right now who you feel as though are performing relative to their, what, what have you name, name, brand expectations, talent, salary, what have you, there aren't that many, but you know, they're still in a relatively decent position to get, into October. And then, you know, things, things happen in October. I, I, I don't think we can sit here and just say that, oh, well, this team is bound to perform a little bit better relative to how they have with runners in scoring position. Like there's enough of a sample size that, you know, we shouldn't just say, oh yeah, it's bound to happen other than just, you know, variants and statistically speaking, are you really going to be this terrible with runners in scoring position for this long? They already have sort of bucked that trend. So until they do, it's hard to look at anything else, but you know, like I don't think they're that ill-equipped or anything approaching that to have success in October. It's just about um, getting there. So I, I thought that as I was, you know, digesting what we saw on Saturday with Bautista, which was obviously awesome and props to him and props to the Blue Jays uh, for putting on a, a really good ceremony. I, I did want to talk about Hyunjin Ryu, who was really good again on Sunday to help the Blue Jays earn that win and earn the win himself, his first win of the season. He's got a ERA of 2.57 through his first three starts. He's not going to overpower you, but he's not giving up that much hard contact. You'd like to see his fastball a little bit, you know, more, a little bit more juice on it. You know, there's a lot of 88, some 87, 88, 89. You'd like it to be, you know, 90, at least 91, 92, but Maybe that comes in time or maybe it doesn't. And, you know, as, as far as a pitcher who might be able to have, you know, fifth starter in the rotation results with diminished velocity, he's probably as good of a candidate 
as any because he's not going to overpower you. He just has less of a margin for error than he did. And he never had a big margin for error because he always relied on commanding both sides of the plate and, you know, throwing strikes in on righties to set up his change up and his curveball. But, you know, like the, the start could have gone off the rails after Brandon Belt made that error in the first and then Swanson doubles down the line. But, you know, he shut them down essentially from that point and gives them five. And that's all you can ask for from him, you know, fi- at least 15 outs, somewhere between 15 and 18 outs, I think is reasonable. And if he can give you that, you're going to like your chances to at least be competitive on that day with the bullpen and, you know, give your fledgling offense, you know, enough of an opportunity to keep the game close, or if it's tied to go ahead, that sort of thing. And his reemergence has, um, made the decision to demote Alec Manoa an easy one. And I never thought that they were going to DFA Ryu. I was skeptical coming off of a serious injury and at his age that he was going to, you know, emerge to the pitcher he was before. But like, it's not that unfathomable that he was going to be solid enough again. And I think that's what we're seeing so far. You know, you take out his first inning against Baltimore He's largely been really solid in the ways that he knows how to be um, and the ways that have made him a really good pitcher in his career. So Manoa gets sent down. Uh, You could argue that they probably should never have brought him back up. I I mean, I saw enough at at times, but there was still, you know, a lot of pitches that were badly missed and the command was spotty at best. And, you know, a lot of issues with, uh, consistency in terms of his mechanics, his release point, his delivery, his footing, that sort of stuff. Uh, certainly not the best, but you know, like he had a really solid start against the Red Sox. But other than that, um, outside of the Tigers, you look at the results. He went three innings, five and a third, four and a third, four. It's just not. It's just not an, good enough. Um, I like. I think at this point barring an injury or something unexpected. I think, you know, you give him the rest of August in AAA and maybe he comes up when the rosters expand or maybe he doesn't. Um, I I would probably say not because if he's not starting, I don't really know what his role is. I, I don't want him in the bullpen. And maybe you just look at it as, you know, you turn the page on a really unfortunate season and, work on what you need to work on in the off season and and be in a better position to have the level of success that he obviously wants to have. The blue Jays want him to have fans want him to have, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, turn, turn the page, uh, a a fresh new leaf uh, for 2024. And, you know, thankfully Ryu has performed because beyond him, we've talked about this really all season long. There's, there's not a ton uh, of depth that comes up and really inspires a, any level, any semblance of of much consistency. Um, they did, did want to talk about Paul DeYoung, who did have uh, a hit on Sunday, much needed. Uh, his first, I believe his first RBI as a member of the Blue Jays. And it's been rough. There's no getting around it. Uh, no sugarcoating it. It's been really not particularly good. The at-bats, I would say, have largely been 
poor. Yeah, he's yeah, I mean, he's three for 39. He's at an 077. He doesn't have a walk. He struck out 14 times. So he's striking about striking out at about 35% of the time, give or take. Uh, he doesn't have an extra base hit. It's it's grim. Uh, defensively, he's solid. I don't have any concerns. And a lot of people say, oh, well, he was brought in to just cover off shortstop in Bo Bichette's absence, which is 100% true. And he does a good job defensively. But you need more than three hits and 39 at-bats. And with the rest of the state of affairs offensively, you need more than just a glove. You need the occasion. Like, you need what he did with the Cardinals, you know, the numbers weren't great, but a 700 plus OPS with 13 home runs, 24 extra base hits, you need the threat of doing some damage. And so far that hasn't been there. And he's been more um, of an automatic out than anything, which is not what you want when there are uh, other guys in this lineup right now who are more, I wouldn't say automatic outs, but they have struggled to give you consistency and quality at bats and and something of that sort. So to have, you know, somebody in there that really isn't delivering anything of value at the plate, that's a tough position to be in. And we'll see when Bo Bichette is back. You know, he's been running the bases, taking batting practice, fielding. Sounds like he's making decent progress, but there's no timetable yet. And I think he still has to really ramp it up and and go at a higher speed and more intensity uh, before he's close. So I'd like, I hope, hope he's back by the time uh, before the end of August, I should say, but it feels like, you know, maybe this is a September return and then you have him for the push to the playoffs. But if the young continues to struggle, then you know, just Santiago Espinal, who I think had his best game on Saturday, made a really good defensive play at shortstop, uh, stung a ball into the gap that tied the game at four. You know, he had another hit in another RBI on Sunday. That Matt Chapman's got a middle finger injury. There's some inflammation there. We'll see what happens. You know, obviously, if he's out for any period of time, it's not ideal to have both Espinal and DeYoung in the lineup, but, you know, it is what it is. And, uh, We'll see what happens there. But uh, I, I would say when all things are equal, you know, Paul DeYoung's not going to play really at all when Bo Bichette is back. It's just, he's just, I just don't see a scenario. Like with Merrifield's Biggio, Espinal, I just feel like all those guys are still going to obviously, especially in the case of Biggio and Espinal, are going to get their reps. And you know, is DeYoung a defensive replacement? Are you pinch hitting him? I I really don't know what circumstance when the roster is fully um, at capacity, are you going to utilize Paul DeYoung? If he's performing anywhere near the rate and level um, that he's been performing at. Uh, I, I do want to get to Jordan Hicks as well, who hasn't been amazing since he, since he got here. You know, it it is what it is with him. You know, when we talked about the trade, it was not without risk just because he's a rental. Obviously there's that, but he's a high variance reliever. You know, there's bouts of being erratic and not having command of the strike zone and throwing some hittable pitches. Like we saw um, against Morel on Saturday against the Cubs, but his stuff has such elite capability that you know when he's really good he's great and we saw that for for a multiple month stretch before the trade so you know relievers are are fickle and finicky you know somebody who was performing great can come in and have a 
rocky four or five inning pocket. And that appears to be the case right now with Jordan Hicks, but that doesn't mean that the next five or 10 innings aren't going to be great because that's just the nature of relief pitching. It can change on a dime. You know, you don't have the same level of opportunity and consistency to put your imprint on a game. Like you're getting three to six outs at most uh, in a lot of cases to really make an impression. And how many times are you pitching in a week? You know, three, four at the absolute most, there's a lot of pressure to perform every time out. And it's magnified uh, when you have a little blip, a little bump in the road, like we're seeing with Hicks, but you know, it just is what it is. Uh, I, I don't think that it's a, makes you say that the trade's a mistake or this or that. This was a possibility when you trade for any reliever. There's, there's, it's far from a guarantee. It's almost uh, more likely than not to have a stretch like this. So, you know, you just hope that this is it and he is more consistent moving forward. And if you get to the playoffs, he's more of the pitcher that he was from, you know, really the beginning part of May through the end of July, as opposed to, you know, the first month of the season and the first couple of outings that we've seen here um, with the Blue Jays. So I, I did put out on Twitter, you know, one reason to be optimistic, one reason to be pessimistic for the rest of the season. And the popular replies were optimistic is pitching and defense, you know, even though there have been some moments here or there. Um, and then the pessimism was the offense, like optimistic from Veronica. She says they've been maddeningly consistent record wise and resilient. Uh, the offense has been inconsistent at best. There you go. Um, Danny optimistic, one of the best pitching staffs in the league and really good defense, pessimistic. The offense looks weak and more of the same pitching is less volatile, um, than batting. The team seems to be unprepared or poorly coached batting wise. Yeah, it's hard to say, you know, like I, I, that's such an easy one to harp on. I I have to think that maybe there's something there, but it's just an easy target for people to go on. I think, you know, a lot of these guys just aren't performing. Um, Daniel, here's a good one. Uh, He's optimistic because the starting pitching and deep bullpen help to win playoff games and pessimistic is, are they even going to make the playoffs? And, you know, like that's a fair thought with Seattle and some other teams, I guess, more on the outside looking in, but Seattle really right there. Um, you know, that's, that's definitely something to look at. Uh, Kyle's reason for optimism, third wildcard spot is the next best result winning the division. And that is what is looking likeliest right now, which is true. Um, Bichette Jansen and Romano all likely playing not at hundred percent the rest of the year. And uh, they've been three of the biggest contributors for the Blue Jays this season. That's not ideal. I would agree with that. Um, you know, Boba Shett's not going to be 100% or probably that close, but I'd still take 80% of him um, over 100% of Paul DeYoung. We're seeing it right now, or 100% of Santiago Espinal. Uh, Justin says, optimistic end of August, early September schedule is favorable. Cleveland, Nats, Colorado, Oakland, KC. And then also Bo, Kiermaier, Romano will be back soon. Pessimistic, Seattle has just as easy of a schedule through August, minus series with Houston. And then the Blue Jays end with 18 games versus Texas in the AL East. That's fair. Uh, Simon also points to the schedule at the end of August, early September. Uh, Pessimistic, David Schneider has more F4 than Vladdy. How is that even possible? Doesn't say much for our offense. You know, Vladdy had a good day on Sunday, had a couple of 
uh, hits with runners in scoring position. Yes, they were singles, but they were still uh, important in the uh, tone of the game. You know, he's still struggling. There's no doubt about it. Uh, his issues with timing on fastballs, he's swinging out of the zone more uh, than he has, generally speaking, for his career. You know, some of his swing decisions have not been great. Uh, his timing with fat fastballs, I think, is problematic. And then, you know, it can lead to him chasing, you know, off-speed pitches. He's way out in front or he's way behind on a fastball, that sort of thing. He just hasn't been timed up. Um, and yeah, they're going to be in tough, especially without Bichette to have any level of success. If, you know, Vladdy is a singles hitter, like he has one home run in his last 15 games and a six 68 OPS. You, you need more than that. He's only struck out six times in 58 at bats, but you need more than, um, one home run in 58 at bats. That's just not, um, going to cut it. Mike says optimistic. They will get Bo back. Vladdy will finally find his mojo and the pitching will continue to be great. Pessimism, hard to be optimistic when they perform like this the entire season. Yeah. They, it, it just, you know, I was curious what people thought and, you know, it's to be expected. We're, you know, it really in the home stretch of the season here, we're talking about 40 some odd games, uh, 120 of, of sample size. You, you sort of are what you are. I, I don't have to squint too hard to see this Blue Jays team, you know, going on some sort of a run. Uh, like, I, I do think that the pieces are all there, but it hasn't happened to this point. And I think it's just as likely. I think it's a like, honestly, probably a true coin flip, maybe 5% either way, whether this team, you know, gets their shit together enough to A, make the playoffs and B, go on or, or B, go on a run or not and, you know, go home. Uh, with one of the most disappointing performances in, in recent Blue Jays history, right? Considering the expectations, anything short of at the very least making the playoffs and then obviously ideally making some noise is a massive failure and disappointment with the moves that were made, you know, the importance placed on certain uh, aspects of the game, players moved out, some of the types of players that were brought in. The intention was to go for it for this year. And then, you know, obviously I think, moving forward, but really with an eye on this year with Kiermaier and Belt, especially, you know, Chris Bassett to some extent as well as a veteran pitcher, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to convince anyone otherwise that this wouldn't be a tremendous, tremendous failure bordering on disaster if they don't make the playoffs. So, you know, there's a lot to play for here over the last you know, 40 some odd games uh, of the season. As always, I appreciate the tweets at DFA underscore pod at Jay Goldberg 12 is where you can find the podcast on Twitter and where you can find me on Twitter. As always, I appreciate all of the interaction, good, bad, or otherwise, you know, like as long as we don't uh, get into insults and, you know, what have you, we can have a perfectly reasonable discourse as long as it's civil and pleasant. Uh, that's all I ask for, you know, like, let's not go beyond that. Sometimes, you know, folks do, and I'm not, uh, above blocking that, but you know, if you disagree, you know, rationally and respectfully, and I always try and do the same, uh, I think that, uh, you know, that's all we can ask for back and forth, but, uh, I appreciate it as always. Uh, like, rate, review, comment, subscribe, designated for assignment, wherever you get your podcasts. I appreciate it. And uh, thanks as always for listening. We'll be back next week on another episode of Designated for Assignment.